Look with me at Ephesians 6. Ephesians, I'm going to go old school and flip through my Bible. Ephesians 6, and look with me at verse number 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers. We wrestle against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Satan is not in hell. He's not in hell. He will be in hell. He will not be in Hades' hell. We understand to be in the center of the earth. He will be in the lake of fire, Gehenna. He will, he, will, he will go to a hell that is not now. He will go to a hell that is not now, but he is not in hell. He is working and ruling in this world. And Paul, therefore, admonishes the church of Ephesus in verse 13. He said, wherefore, since that's the deal, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Here it is again. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. You see the pieces of the armor there that he's saying? You got you to you dress up, all right? You got you to get ready. You got you to get dressed up for this battle that you're in. And you got to take all these pieces, Notice what he says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. I want you to underline sword, and I want you to underline this next phrase, which is the Word of God. I want you to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Paul puts a special emphasis on you taking the whole armor of God. Don't leave any pieces out. No parts of this armor need to be overlooked for you are not going to be victorious going on this battlefield of life but naked fighting the devil. He says you've got to dress for the occasion. You've got to have every piece of the armor of God. And he, he draws attention to one of the pieces called a sword. Now, I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to figure out that the sword is the only piece of the armor of God that serves an offensive capacity. The shield is a defensive piece. The belt is a defensive piece. The breastplate, the helmet, the shoes, all of those are defensive pieces of equipment. Yet the sword, which is the word of God, becomes our offensive Peace. Now I want you to look over in Hebrews chapter 4. I want you to look at verse number 12. If you're there, say amen. It's on the screen, ladies and gentlemen. If you're there, say amen. Notice what the writer of Hebrews says. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. And this sword, this, this word from God is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I'll read the whole verse again. Stay with me. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Bible is clear to you and I that the word of God is a word from God. In fact, the word of God originated in the spoken word that was revealed from God the Father. All things that are made, according to the book of Hebrews chapter 11, all things we understand in the world were framed by the very words of God. Everything that you and I see with our eyes was not made with something we can trace with our eyes. All things that are visible originated in the realm of the invisible because they were originated from the spoken word of God. 
And tracing our history through the Old Testament, we find that God revealed himself in spoken, at times audible and at spoken and at times mental words from God, where God communicated in dialogue with mankind. And that spoken word was revealed from the Father. The Bible then tells us in the book of John, chapter number one, in the beginning was the Word, capital W, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same in the beginning was with God. And all things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. Speaking of Jesus, in him was a life. And that life was the light of men. Jesus became the living word revealed through the form of the Son of God. Everything God wanted to say at that day and age, God said it through the form of his Son who was born of a virgin, and the Bible says he became flesh, likened unto you and I, and he dwelt among us. And that light was sent to the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Yet he, the Bible says in Hebrews, he was the spoken, living word of God. And through him, God spoke expressly through the Son, and he became the living word of God. And then we know now, This side of canonized scripture, we have the written word of God that was revealed by the Spirit. For the Bible says that the Holy Spirit of God spake unto the authors of the Bible. And as the Spirit of God spake, man wrote and penned the pages of the text. And the word was inspired. And now this inspired word that has been translated in the English language from the Hebrew and the Greek, this English word that you and I now hold in our laps or access online, this very word is revealed to us by the Spirit. It's, it's, it, it's, it's, it's a supernatural book with a supernatural subject and a supernatural theme. And, and from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation, every facet of the word speaks of Jesus. Old Testament typologies and pictures shadow Jesus and New Testament promises are the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies and everywhere we look we just see Jesus and the Holy Spirit brings the word to life and he's a teacher in all truth and he just teaches the scripture to you and when I'm preaching the word and we're teaching the word the spirit of God reveals that word so we've got this spoken word from the father we've got a living word in Jesus but we've got a written word in our Bible and it's interesting that the the word of God is likened to so many metaphors it's Jesus like the word of God as seed that you plant in the ground. The writer of Hebrews likens the word of God as milk that babies drink and food that mature adults can eat. Uh, Paul likens the word of God to a mirror in which we see ourselves for who we really are. And Jeremiah likened the word as a fire and a hammer. And David in Psalm 119 likened the word as a lamp and a light. And Paul here draws the connection in Ephesians chapter 6 where he says when we take the whole armor of God, every piece that we take we must not forget our offensive weapon which is the sword of the spirit which is the word of God the connection is then made in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12 stay with me I promise you I'm going somewhere Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12 the connection that draws a parallel reality that the Bible is revealed to us as a sword the word of God is a sword which means the word of God becomes your weapon Oh, you didn't hear what I said, young soldier. I said the word of God becomes your weapon. And the Spirit of God has a will for your life that you will graduate from just being a bench-sitting saint to becoming a field-dwelling soldier. And you'll be equipped for the battle that is very real. Some of you do not understand, nor do you realize the battle that is ever around you right now. Some of these Christian mom and daddies in this room do not realize the devils that are sitting in the tall grass, camouflaging with culture, waiting to pounce on your baby boy and your baby girl. Some of us don't realize right now the oppressive nature of demons and devils that plague our minds, our thoughts, our homes, our futures, our dreams. Some of us right now, we sit in a worship service like this where a preacher's telling you the truth. There ain't no gray area. It's black or it's white. And I'm pointing out some reality to you right now, yet you're in a comatose state of Christianity because you're daydreaming, thinking about lunch or thinking about work this week or thinking about bills you got to pay or thinking about what you're going to do next weekend or thinking 
thinking about what you're going to do when you get home. I'm thinking about what channel you're going to watch. And the reality is while you and I are daydreaming and taking a break, there's, a, there's hordes of hell that are not sitting on the sidelines taking a break. They're not taking days off. And they're active and they're ever in pursuit of your family and my family, this church and the kingdom of God. And we've got real life enemies right now in the spirit realm that are coming against us. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it ain't there. Just because you can't hear it doesn't mean it ain't speaking. And just because you can't trace it with evidence doesn't mean that it's not a reality. I wish I had a witness if you know we are in a war that is for real. And the writer tells us that we've been equipped on this battlefield with a word that has become our weapon, the sword, represented by the word of God. And may I say, if this is our weapon, it is imperative that you and I know how to use it. Uh, the, one of the sad realities is we've got soldiers that don't know how to use their weapons. Yeah, we've got, so, see, when you got saved, you enlisted into basic combat training, whether you knew it or not. And let me tell you something, while a lot of people get saved, oh my God, there's been over 700 people saved since this church started. 700 people saved. 700 people saved, but where are they all at? Why is it between both services we will not have quite 700 people? Where are they all at? They did not know what they were getting into when they got Jesus. They didn't know what they stepped into when they stepped into this kingdom because this kingdom is at war with another kingdom. That's why the lifespan of a serious convert is about six months because they get in here excited. They get in here and they're celebratory. They get in here and they're rejoicing. They get in here and they're enthusiastic but they don't realize that they are in a war and a battle is going on and they never learn how to use the equipment they've been provided. They don't know how to fight in this field. They don't know how to fight in this war. And if they're uneducated and they're unequipped, they're not going to last in this thing called life. Somebody better talk to me this morning. And what's scary is there's a lot of people, they've got this sword, but they use it carelessly, very carelessly. Do you know that your Bible was never intended to be a weapon you used against each other? You don't have to go far to find a place where a man will get up with a Bible and beat the hell out of you. You want me to be real or you want me to Mr. Rogers this thing? I'm trying to be real with you. You ain't got to go far on Facebook to find, find a Jezebel straight out of hell that knows a few verses and I'm posting them in her cowardness subliminal message to try to get your attention and judge and critique you. It's getting quiet up in here. Y'all ever known anybody like that? Posting verse out of context to say something to somebody they're not willing to say to their face? <laughs> Buckle up, honey. It's about to get rough up in here. People taking verses out of context just to inflate their ego and deflate your character, attacking your spirit after your integrity. I, speaking of swordship, I'm thinking about Peter standing there in the garden of Gethsemane. A fisherman used to throw a net, had no idea how to swing a sword. And the Bible teaches and tells us that when, the, when at the betrayal of Judas, when the soldiers came to take Christ away, what happened? Peter pulled out a sword and swung it at Malchus, a servant of the high priest, took his ear off. Isn't it funny that Peter always had a problem keeping his mouth shut and never learned how to use his ear for hearing, yet the ear was the one thing he cut off with a sword on somebody else's head? Nah, we will leave that alone. We'll leave that alone. What happened? He didn't know how to use what he had. And, and the enemy, the Paul says that the enemy is not flesh and blood. The enemy is not your brother. It's not your sister. It's not a member of this church. It ain't somebody sitting at the front of the auditorium or the left of the auditorium. Your enemy ain't wrapped in flesh and blood. Your enemies are principalities. They are powers. They are rulers of darkness, spiritual wickedness in high places. Therefore, you've got to learn how to use your weapon carefully. And not to be used on each other, not to abuse, not to harm one another, but to be used as a weapon against the enemies that come at you and the enemies that come against you. And the Bible teaches and tells us that this sword is our offensive weapon. And I'm reminded of David when he slayed Goliath. As that stone sunk into his forehead and the giant fell down, what's the Bible say? The Bible says that David took Goliath's sword. Do you see the representation here? 
between the bully 10 foot tall, apparently bulletproof, a 300 pound spear, a gigantic shield, an armor bearer, and a sword. There's a mirror imaging here between the Christian and that of the demonic world, outsized, outstrength, outnumbered. And the Bible says that when David dropped him with the sling, he took the sword representing the word of God, and he cut off Goliath's head, hence silencing the voice of the enemy that had come against the armies of Israel and defied and defiled the name of the living God. And let me submit this to you this morning. Demon heads are not rolling when you keep your sword in its sheath. You've got to know how to use it, mama. You got to know how to use it, daddy. You got to know how to use it, Christian. Who am I preaching to in this room? You're not uneducated. You're not uneducated. You're not unequipped. You go to a church where we preach the word. We're not promoting a self-help book. I'm not flipping through a reader's digest or downloading the latest blog. I'm trying to give you a real life perspective of what God said about you and this battle of life that you're in. And the reality is we need to start silencing the voice of the enemy. And we need to learn how to swing this sword and not use it on each other. I am sick of seeing the church divided over petty issues that don't matter, that don't mean anything. This side of heaven, most of the stuff we bicker and fight and divide about don't matter. Do you realize there's no denominations in heaven? Do you realize Jesus doesn't care what's on the front of your sign? Do you know God doesn't care about the deacon board and the voting rights and your bylaws? Let me tell you what God cares about. God cares about soldiers who can stand and take on the whole armor of God that know how to use the word from cover to cover. They know how to take a text and swing a sword. They don't back down. They don't bend over. They don't lay in the grass. He's looking for people who are armed and very dangerous. Do I got any sword swinging soldiers in the room? Yeah. I'm not uneducated. I'm not unequipped. I know what I got. And I'm, I've learned how to use this sword. I, I laid my hands on my baby girl the other day. Oh, Satan was, Satan was after her mind. She got a soft spirit and a big heart, and God's got his hand on her, but the devil wants to put both of them around her, her spirit and choke the life right out of her. Right there in the car, buddy, I just, I put my hands on her and I started quoting some word. I, st- I, t- I just stood my ground and I, pu- I drew my sword and I said, you can monkey with me and you can mess with my mind, but you stay the heck away from my children. You stay away from my home. You stay away from my wife. This is a temple that's dedicated to God. There's promises on my baby. There's power on my baby. And what God I won't protect. I'm asking God to preserve. You got to learn how to slay the enemy and silence the voice of the hater and the critic that gets up in your ear. Some of y'all need to start swinging. Get that word, hide it in your heart that you might not sin against God and give in to the temptation to succumb to the wiles of the devil. It's evident, it's obvious. Every soldier in this room is fighting the same kind of battle with the same kind of enemy. It's a real deal. It's truth. There's a difference between life just happening and you dealing with oppression. There's a a difference. There's a difference between sadness and oppression. There's a difference between stress and oppression. There's a difference between you going through a rough patch and you having crosshairs on your life. There's a difference You better learn how to use this word like a weapon. You can count to 10, take deep breaths all you want to. He's not going to walk away. You can phone a preacher or flip through all the pages of your best seller, but I'm going to tell you something right now. There ain't no weapon like the word. My God, I wish I had a witness in this room. I got a word. I got a word. And no weapon formed against me is going to prosper because of the sword I have in my hand. Somebody give him praise. God. But perhaps, 
Perhaps the greatest enemy that you need to slay is not the enemy without. Perhaps the greatest enemy you have to slay is the enemy within. Maybe like Saul, it's time for you to fall on your sword. We read of David and his victorious battle against Goliath, but we sometimes overlook the imagery between King Saul and King David. In 1 Samuel chapter 31, we read of where Saul was wounded by the archers when they battled against the Philistines, and he watched his sons killed in battle. And when he begged his armor bearer to thrust him through with the sword, I want you to see this imagery now. He begged his armor bearer to slay him, thrust me through, I'm wounded, and I want to die violently thrust me through with the sword, but the armor bearer was afraid and could not slay the king. Oh, how hard it is sometimes in this kingdom to find somebody willing, brave, and courageous enough to take the word and thrust you through. It's hard to find advice and counsel and biblical authority and truth from people that are on your level. Isn't it hard? Isn't it it crazy that you just live in a cycle trying to get counsel from people that are on your spiritual level? Ah, come on now. It's, 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 hard. it's hard to get somebody to tell you the truth in love. It's hard for a baby Christian to be counseled or led by a baby Christian. How can they lead you through land they've never been through? How can they counsel you how to slay giants that they run from? I'm preaching to somebody in this room. You need to change your circle of counsel. He couldn't get, a th- he couldn't get the armor bearer to thrust him through, and the Bible says that Saul fell on his sword, refusing to be slayed by the Philistines, fell on his sword. I want you to understand something. There's a wonderful picture between the house of David and the house of Saul. For Saul was the rebellious, carnal-driven, fleshly king, appointed and anointed at the hands of men, sat on the throne of Israel calling the shots of the kingdom, He was not what God had in store for the big picture of Israel, yet he was what the flesh wanted. And the Bible teaches and tells us that a young shepherd boy who slayed a giant after killing a bear and a lion was anointed with oil upon his brow. Anointed, but not yet appointed to be sitting on the very throne in which King Saul sat. And a beautiful picture emerges between the flesh and the spirit. Oh, I think some of you understand what I'm talking about when I speak of your fleshly nature, your original sin nature that has ruled on the throne your whole life, your Saul nature that you are born with, that you currently live with, and you will be stuck with it until you leave by grave or rapture. And you have this Saul spirit sitting upon the throne of your heart, a jealous spirit, an aggravated spirit, an evil spirit, a king who's in control, but you got inside of you at the day of your new birth, a little shepherding spirit, an anointed spirit. Oh, how taxing it is to be anointed but not yet appointed. Uh, Sometimes you got to let oil on your forehead get you through the seasons where there's no crown to wear. And you just got to learn how to keep your harp in your hand and play softly and learn how to worship on the backside of the desert in the shadows of the Judean hillsides. You got to learn how to fight bears and lions. You got to learn how to knock leaves off of tree limbs with your with your sling and your stones and you just got to learn how to keep your worship. And when you finally get into the presence of the very throne you're going to occupy. See, some of us know what it's like to have a Saul sitting on the throne of our heart, but yet there's a new spirit in us. There's an anointed David spirit in us after God's own heart that desires the right things, the pure things, the holy things. And isn't it crazy this flesh wants to slay this spirit in David, but it can't. It can cast javelins and it can try to turn conspiracies against the anointed one, but there's always a way for the spirit to behave itself so 
himself wisely in the presence of Saul's flesh. And then the Bible tells us that there was a great war between the house of David and the house of Saul. And the house of David waxed greater and greater and the house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker. I'm reminded of what Paul said in Romans chapter 7. There's a war going on in my members, in my mind. He said, I'm torn in half. I have a part of me that can't seem to do right, can't seem to get it right. And I got a part of me that wants the good things, that wants the pure things, that wants the right things. And there's a war going on inside of this household. There's a war between the two kingdoms. And I got this Saul spirit. And I got this David spirit. And the Bible that teaches and tells us that the house of David increased greatly only after Saul fell on his own sword. Perhaps, perhaps it's time for you to come to the end of yourself. Perhaps, perhaps the greatest enemy you are yet to slay is the one within. Young lady, perhaps the greatest threat to the future of the throne in your life is you. Perhaps you are your own worst enemy. Perhaps it's time for your soul to die. Perhaps it's time for you to fall on your own sword. And let this word of God be the thing that kills your fleshly nature. My God, I got a word for somebody. Maybe the end of you starts with you falling on your weapon. A weapon you've used to slay many giants. A weapon you've used to chase many wolves. A weapon you, you remember how victorious you've been in your past. How many demons have ran from your doorstep. How many many spirits have been loosed from your life and now you praise God with freedom? Oh, that you would get a hold of this word and get a hold of you. Do you know what you've got in your hands that you can put an end to yourself? Can I tell you about this sword? This sword in which you need to fall upon. This sword in which you could slay oneself. The Bible teaches and tells us in verse number 12, for the word of God is quick, and powerful. It is quick. That word quick means it's alive. And it says it's powerful. That's not the Greek word dynamis that we're familiar with. That's the Greek word energeus, which is where we get our English word energy. He says the word of God, the word of God, the word, the word, the word, the word, the spoken word, the, the living word, the written word, the, the, the revealed word. Yeah. The enlightened word, the illuminated word, the spirit word, the word of God is quick and it's powerful, which tells me it's a dynamic word. It's a dynamic. Can I preach this thing? Can I unpack this little gift I got for you? This word is a dynamic word, which means that it is alive and it is active. It's a living word. If you plant it like seed, it'll make something grow. If you drink it like milk, it'll make your bones strong. If you eat it like meat, it'll put muscle on your body. If you learn how to look in a mirror it'll reveal who you really are and if you use it like a word it'll cut the death out of your life and bring life wherever it is stuck my bible teaches me that his word is alive and it's active i said it's active it's not reactive reactive means it happens in response to something but active means that everything responds because it happens my word that i have it's alive and it's active which means it'll cut the comatose out of you It'll cut the cemetery out of you. It'll bring life into you. You can't get around this word and it not bring life into somebody. Some of us have forgotten how dead we were when we first got around this word. But God stuck it so deep in our heart that it brought life. It brought a quickening life, made us alive. We were dead in sins and trespasses, but it brought life because it's alive and it's active. It's a dynamic word. I'm reminded of Ezekiel chapter 37. The Bible says the hand of the hand of the Lord was upon Ezekiel and he took him in a valley of dead dry bones and had him walk around that valley and looked at all those bones. And then the Lord said to Ezekiel, he said, can these bones live? And Ezekiel said, oh Lord God, thou knowest. I like this part. Then God said, I want you to prophesy. 
speak the word of the Lord to these bones. He said, declare unto these bones. Proclaim unto these bones. Preach it, boy. Preach to these bones and tell them it's time to come alive. Tell them they've laid there for far too long and tell them that I'm going to put the bones back together and I'm going to put the sinews and the tendons and the ligaments and the muscles and the tissue and I'm going to wrap them in skin and then I'm going to put breath in them like bodies and they're going to stand up and live again. And you know what Ezekiel did? He did exactly what God said. He proclaimed and prophesied the word of God under those bones and he said it's time to live. You've been dead long enough and therefore by the word of God it's time to live and bones started connecting to bone and tissue connected to tissue. Ligaments upon ligaments. Muscles upon muscles and skin upon skin and the bodies laid there framed but empty and he said prophesy to the wind and tell the wind oh breath breathe upon these bones that they may live and he prophesied and commanded based on the word of God to the four winds and like new breath they filled those bodies who were dead who were buried who were scattered dead dry and alone in that valley and he brought life to those bodies and they stood up like an army an army full of soldiers you say pastor D what are you preaching I'm telling you it's time for you to walk through the valley and find the dead dry bones of your life and start throwing the word the good word the living word the powerful word the active word the word that is lively the word that is resurrecting the word that is dynamic it's time to walk through the cemetery and the graveyards of your home it's time to plant your feet drop the sword drop the seed tell it what thus saith the Lord and watch God bring life again do I got anybody in this room that knows about the lively dynamic word of God it brings life over and over and over and over it's a living word. <laughs> yeah. Woo. I said it's a dynamic word. It's a, it, 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 you got to put a word on it. Yeah, when you got a dead situation, you got to put a word on it. You got to put a word on it. You got to put a word on it. That's why you got to know it. That's why you got to believe it. That's why you got to preach it. Everybody in this room is called to preach it. You ain't here. You think you need ordination papers? You, you think you need a cloak or be a man of the cloth? I come to tell you, I just ordained everybody in the room. I said you're a preaching machine. You got to learn how to preach to the dead stuff. You got to learn how to preach to the dry places. You got to learn how to declare it. Walk down through the valley. Get some authority and say what I say the Lord. You're a preaching machine, honey. That's why you got to declare it. You got to declare. That's why, that's what JJ and Kayla did. When the doctor come in with a report that said it ain't looking good for your boy, less than 1% of the population gets diagnosed with what your little boy has and the odds are ever against him. You know what they did? You know what they did? They didn't rely on the doctor. They didn't rely on reports. They didn't say if you put him in this machine or we get him to see this surgeon or we take him to this piece of equipment. You know what they did? They got a hold of the sword and they drew a line in the sand and they said this word is alive and they put a word on Grady and the doctors come in scratching their head and said we don't know what it was we don't know how it happened we don't know what took place but you know what we know about it we put a word on it and that word is alive yeah See, my God's, a, my God's a miracle maker. My God's a rock rolling, water walking, blood covering, healing, Jesus loving God. That's what kind of word I've got. My God. Put a word, put a word on it. It's alive. It's active. It's active. You know what? That's, that's, why, that's why I preach it. That's why I preach it. We started this church with me preaching it. We're going to lead this church with me preaching it. And blessed God, hell or high water, I'm going to leave this planet preaching it. Whether they take me by the grave or Jesus comes back, I'm going to go out of here preaching it. And I don't care what laws they pass, what laws they change. They can take my certificate. They can take our 501c3. They can close our doors. They can lock me up and throw me in jail. 
jail, but I'll start a prison ministry and I'll keep on preaching the word because it was the word that got it started. It'll be the word that gets it finished. No, I ain't done yet. I'm just getting started. I'm just getting started. This word's dynamic. You understand what you understand what you're carrying now? You are locked and loaded, young lady. It's dangerous. You are a force to be reckoned with. You gonna let you call the shot? You gonna let Saul continue to make all the all the all the shots called in your life? You got a you got a sword. This dynamic. And then, and then the reader goes in to verse twelve. He says, "Look at this. Look at this. The word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing." Piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. It's a dividing word. It's a, it's a dividing. Saul falls on this word. His sword cuts him in two. Piercing. Everybody say piercing. Say piercing. Say piercing. The word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. Piercing. Cuts deep. Oh, it'll cut you. It cuts you. Any part of the blade touches you, it'll cut you. When it's preached, it'll cut you. When it's taught, it'll cut you. Heck, we can put it in a song and sing about it. It'll cut you. You remember when you walked in this place, unconverted, damned to hell, lost, you walked in and the word got, God, you walked in and the word got, your lost condition was revealed to you. You remember that? I remember, the, I remember I was 18 years old and that preacher got up there and preached the gospel and that sword straight out of heaven cut me right in two. And I had to make a decision. Do I want to stay lost or do I want to be saved? You remember that? Isn't it wonderful that that feeling never leaves you? that at any time in your life you can't ever outgrow getting cut? Huh? There's always some new revelation or somebody preaches it and all of a sudden the Spirit gives it to you in a way that you never heard before and it's, oh God, oh God, I didn't see that coming. Pierces deep, deep. You know that feeling, don't you? You know that feeling, how it, how it, how it pierces so deep that it divides, it divides. It's a divisive word. It's a device, and it expands the very idea that Jesus said when he will, he said, I will turn son against father, daughter against mother. I will, I will, I will divide things all the way to the core of who you are. It's an expanded idea on that where he says it divides asunder the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow. Divides the soul and the spirit. Now, let me say something to you real quick. You, you need to understand who you are. We need to understand what's being dissected and divided here because you, you, you and I are a trichotomy. We're a trichotomy, which, which means we are three in one. We're three in one. We, we, we are a body, we are a soul, and we are a, a spirit. Can I, can I unpack that for you real quickly? You, you're a body, you're a soul, and you're a spirit. You're, you're a body. You're wrapped in, in, in this human tissue, this flesh and blood. You, th this body is your box. It's the container. It's the vessel. It's the temple. This is the body. And, and this body is, is how you connect with and experience the world around you. But you're limited in this body. You're limited in this flesh. You're limited. You're limited. This, this, this flesh was born. This flesh is corrupt. It is, it is mortal and it is going to die. And flesh, flesh is limited. If you didn't have this body, your soul and your spirit would be so free to move such about in the spirit realm. But, but in order for you to comprehend, to know and experience the physical world, which is how you process the physical world. You have a body. You have eyes. You have ears so you can hear. You have senses so you can experience the world. And, and this body is limited because if you did not have a body, your spirit could be here in one second and in Dubai the next second. You could translate yourself so quickly, so easily because you'd be a spirit. You'd be not bound by physical matter or physical dimensions for you'd be a spirit. But, but you're... But you encased in this body and it's how you know and connect and experience with the world but you're also a soul you're a soul and the soul is the seat of who you are the soul is the mind the will and the emotions the soul is how you connect with and experience yourself 
It is how you feel. It is how you process. It is how you know and relate. It's your soul. But you're also a spirit. Your, your spirit. Your spirit is how you connect and experience God. Jesus said, for they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And your spirit, your spirit, your spirit is how you are connected with God. Your spirit is how you get in tune with the frequency of that which is spiritual. So you, you have a body, you have a soul, and you've always had a spirit. Now your spirit was dead to the things of God. I want you to hear me out. Your spirit was dead to the things of God. When someone says your spirit was dead, it doesn't mean you did not have a spirit. It just means that your spirit could not know or discern the things of God. You walk into a place like this, if you're lost, unconverted, your spirit is dead dead. Your spirit's dead. So it's not going to discern the word of God I'm preaching. It's not going to comprehend the spiritual matter of the spirit. The worship will not move you. The word will not prick you. You're dead. You can't get a response from a dead man. He's dead. There's no stimuli. There's no response. There's no blood pumping. There's no lungs breathing. He's dead. He's not going to bat an eye. He's not going to lift a finger. He's not going to say ouch when you kick him. He's dead. But when a man is saved and God quickens, he breathes life, supernatural life, your spirit comes alive. And now you properly discern the things of God as you mature and grow and your spirit expands itself in the knowledge of God's word and you begin through the word to relate with God and this body, soul, spirit now begins a new life. And then the day of redemption, the day of redemption, my spirit is saved. My soul is being saved. My body's lost. Body is not going to heaven. It has to be changed, just like the soul and the spirit, before it can be redeemed into glory. So, no bother on the body. We've got that figured out. We know what's going to happen with the body. But what about the soul and the spirit? Are you still with me? Say amen. Are you ready to choose some food? Are you ready to choose some food? Let me cut you. Watch this. He says the word is so sharp and it cuts so deep that when it does, it divides the soul from the spirit. The soul is where your soulish nature comes from. The spirit is where your spirit nature comes from. Now see, there are some things... It's very easy for me to decide what is me being soulish versus what is me being spiritual. There's some things that's a no-brainer. I don't have to ask you. I don't have to even ask God. In fact, I don't even need a verse. I just know this is me being soulish, my fleshly, carnal, stupid Derek. And then there's things where I'm like, this is of God. Because there's no way that Derek over there would ever want to do this. But sometimes the soul and the spirit are so knit together in a believer that you can't properly discern which is which. Am I being soulish? Is this my emotions? Is this my feelings? Is this my will? Some people with a strong will can follow through so hard that it looks like God, but it's 100% them. The word is so sharp and so deep that it cuts you all the way to the core, dividing the soul from the spirit. Did you know there are people in this room over the last year of their life, they have made spiritual decisions, but it came from a place of guilt. They were motivated to make a decision that was spiritual, but they were motivated by a thing called guilt. Or they conformed to the culture of this church. And the reality is, it wasn't God that wanted them to do it. And they didn't do it because of God. They did it because they felt guilty that they weren't doing it at all. And so they made what looked like a spiritual decision when in fact it was soulish, not spiritual. The word is so deep and so sharp that it actually tells you fact from falsehood, truth 
from lie and it separates what's soulish, which is just your mind, your will, your emotions, and it pinpoints what is spiritual, what is God, what is truth, what is right. When I, when I felt like God wanted me to preach, I was in a place where I was so passionate about Jesus and there was a church full of so many other preachers that it was easy to want to be the people that I looked up to. I was motivated. These guys were three, five, six, eight years older than me. They were on fire for God. I wanted what they had and it was easy for me out of a soulless place to want to do that with desire. But the reality is, I was able through the word of God and the testimony of scripture to confirm that this was of God because there was never a time in Derek Anglin's life before where he ever thought about standing up in front of people knowing the word and actually preaching the word. That thought was so contrary to me and through, and here's the deal, there were things I would read in the scripture and when I would read it, it was like the spirit was sitting there looking at me going, do you see this? Do you see this thing that he's talking about right here about pastoring, about preaching? This is you. And it was easy for me to distinguish because all of a sudden when I was faced with the reality, this was what God wanted. I'm like, oh God, I'm not qualified to do that. I don't know, I don't know any verses. I don't, know any, I don't know this. I'm going to get up and lead these people astray and I'm still struggling with cussing. What if I cuss them out? I use cuss words to describe. Those are my adjectives and if I'm supposed to describe how good God is, I'm going to cuss everybody out. But sometimes, sometimes it's not a matter of pursuit of what you think God wants you to do. It's God divides the soul and the spirit there's this deciding factor where the sword points and tells you what your heart is supposed to feel. Did he not say that the word is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart? Which means after I've laid you open, I got soul over here and I got spirit over here. I take my word and I guide you to what is spiritual away from what is soulish. That word Discerner is the Greek word kritikos, where we get our English word critic, which means the word becomes the judge over your heart. Someone said, just follow your heart. No, no, don't you follow your heart. Your heart is deceitful above all things, the Bible says. It's deceit above, above, all, th above all the things that are deceitful. Your, your heart's at the top. It's desperately wicked. Who can know it? The scripture says. So don't follow your heart. Let your heart follow the word. The word tells your heart what to feel and what to follow. Can, can I be real with y'all? Y'all want me to be real with y'all? Anybody in this room got like a favorite sin? You're like, hey, not that real, man. Not, not that real. <laughs> Close to the house. No, I'm serious. And you know what I mean by this. Let me go back to that Romans 7. I, 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 I get the wrestling match, man. I do. That war Paul was talking about. I got in me this spirit and nature. And I hate this sin. Pastor Jeff said this the other night in students. I'm going to echo the same thing because I bear witness of what he said. I hear some preachers get up and say, the moment I got saved, it all just fell off. Ah, oh, the wickedness just fell off. I was made right in his sight and all of the darkness just faded away. Now, I understand what he's saying positionally. But presently, man, sometimes some of that old snake skin doesn't get shed so easy. Huh? And I, I have found myself in different seasons of life where my flesh will gravitate to a favorite sin. 
And it just seems to be the flavor of the week. You know what I'm saying? And, 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 and I got this part of my flesh, my soulish nature, that, that just likes it. You know, but I got this other polar opposite over here, this new me, this spirit me that hates the thought of it. Not, not getting caught. Just the thought of that sin. And I abhor it. I hate it. But I find my heart torn. How is it that I can be up here on this stage and just oozing with anointing, preaching in power, and these men my age walk out of here and go, he's never had a lustful thought. <laughs> these women walk out of here and say, I wish my husband was more like him. They do. Stupid, but they do. I wish, I wish we had their marriage. It must be perfect. I bet it's... It must, it must, just, it must just be a blessing to work for this church. I bet him and Pastor Jeff, they, they look the same. and Sometimes they dress the same. I bet they just sit around the hallway and hold hands and run around barefoot in the tulips and just pray in tongues all the time. How is it I can be so spirit-filled, so spirit-driven, just him all running through me? And it, and it could just be 30 minutes. And that heart just gets pulled. And stuff cross my mind that would make your skin crawl. Words run up on the tip of my tongue. Hold it in. Stuff my eyes have seen gets tattooed like photogenic memory to the forefront of my head while I'm preaching. Satan step right in. Wait, wait, and step right in between me and my precious wife and try to turn us on each other like we're enemies or something. Every day... You pull out a smartphone or a laptop and that old demon from the past crawls up on your shoulder and says, nobody will know. You walk off the very parking lot. Walk out. Get in your car and say, don't nobody care. You dropped the ball today. Swung and missed, struck out. They ain't gonna come back. You scared all them first time guests off preaching like an idiot. Why don't you just dial it down a little bit and be a little more seeker-friendly and win some people before you try to win them to Jesus? My heart is torn, and the thoughts and the intents are corrupt, but the sword cuts so deep to who I really am. The sword is the only thing that becomes the judge between my soul and my spirit. And the sword cuts asunder and says, think this. Do this. Be this. 
And my heart has to follow the word. And many times we get our lives backwards and we try to make the word follow our heart. You know as well as I do, you and I are guilty of making the word say what we want our heart to feel. And the reality is you already know what you're supposed to do about your favorite sin. You already know. You already know what you're supposed to do about your finances. You already know how you're supposed to talk to your kids. You already know how you're supposed to read. You already know what you're supposed to do. Most of the time, when you get around where the word is preached, taught, communicated, or you just read it, and if you get gutsy enough to actually fall on your own sword, God will divide asunder between your soul and your spirit, and the word becomes the judge as to how you live your life. It becomes your authority on all matters. It's the final word. It becomes the final word. It's the critic. It's the discerner. It's the judge. It tells you what to feel. It tells you what to think. It tells you what to do. It's the last word. What if you and I started living our lives day to day, every single week, all year long? What if we lived our lives where everything God said about anything became the deciding factor about everything and anything we do? God, how much different would your life look? It would be spiritual, not soulish. You wouldn't be so weak and emotional all the time. You wouldn't be flying off the handle and cussing everybody out and tipping crap over. You wouldn't be like that. You wouldn't be, you wouldn't be such a jerk to be around. You would be more accomplished. You would not have so many excuses for being lazy. God would help you cut that crap out. That's what verse 13 says. Look at verse 13. Look at it, look at it, look at it. After you've been cut open, after you've been cut open and divided, there's no creature. Let's talk about the new creation that is not manifest, not revealed in his sight. All things, everybody say all things, are naked and opened under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Picture Adam and Eve. No matter what you try to cover up with, you can't hide nakedness. It's there, God sees it. It's open, it's naked. And when you've been cut open by the sword of the word, it's naked, it's open, it's obvious, it's clear to see. And God's saying this is, and God will even confirm life decisions through his word. He'll give you a verse, not contrary necessarily to interpretation, but a relevant application applied to your life or where you're at, and God will make it clear. God, he uses his word to make it clear. He uses his word to make it clear. When you cut, take a watermelon, and I'll close here. You take a watermelon, and you cut that thing open. You open that watermelon up, divide it, you now have a decision to make on how you're going to proceed and devour this watermelon. Because as you cut the watermelon open, you will notice seeds in the watermelon. Now, if you're saved and full of the Holy Ghost, I don't think you'll eat those seeds. That's disgusting. That's thick, man. But some people do. Some people do. Sorry, ma'am, you weren't pregnant. It was a watermelon. You cut it open, you see the seeds, and then you have to make the conscious decision to cut the seeds out. And God told me to tell you it's time to cut it out. See, seeds don't matter now. Seeds matter later. It's not hurting you right now. It's not doing any damage right now. Let's be honest. It's not doing any damage right now. It will later. And some of the seeds are the seeds you need to cut out now. Some of the lies you're believing, some of the things you're doing, some of the words you're saying, some of the, some of, some of the, some of the decisions you've made just in the last month, some of that stuff is what's going to kill you later. So you can either let the seeds kill your spirit or you can take the sword and kill your flesh and cut it out. So I'll close with this. What, what kind of seeds do you need to be cutting out? What kind of stuff is growing beneath the surface? What kind of laziness is running rampant in your home? What kind of cancer is eating up your character? What kind of sin you got in the dark? What kind of dumb stuff 
are you allowing into your life? And God's dividing between soul. He's saying, yeah, your soul wants that, but it's not what my spirit wants. And God's dividing his word, his word, and his word, his counsel, his judge, his authority. Let God have the last word in your life. Let him be the deciding factor. It doesn't matter what a political, it doesn't matter what kind of political agenda is out there. That's not the deciding factor for you. It doesn't matter what cultural standards are being employed. That's not your deciding factor. It doesn't matter what everybody else your age is doing. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter. You can't let everything else be the judge of what you do with your life. You know, we, let, me tell you, let me tell you something. We as a staff have wrestled like crazy for the last two years. Because it's easy, it's easy to see so many things culturally in the church world of growing churches, and there's this pressure. The, the, the further you get in this ministry, especially if you work at a church staff, there is a pressure to do things a certain way because other successful churches are doing them. And there's this pressure, well, we gotta do that because that's what everybody else is doing. We, we need to sing that song because everybody's singing that. I need to preach like that because everybody else is preaching like that. We need to start having that kind of program because everybody else is doing it. And do you know what the Lord has done for us over the last year? He has brought such a hard division between the soul and the spirit of your staff that collectively and unanimously we have been able to sit down and come to terms on what we thought was cultural conformity versus what was biblical conformity. And I don't know if you've noticed, and maybe only the mature believers in this room have noticed, but there's been a real hard shift in the spirit of this church in the last six, seven, eight months because we just decided, you know what? If God said it, we're going to do it. And if God didn't say it, we're going to stay the heck away from it. How prosperous and successful and how peaceful would our lives be if that was the mindset everybody in this room had right now ongoing? You fall on the word. You put an end to self, your will, your emotions. Your, put an end to yourself and say, I'm only going to do and be what God said and I'm gonna stay as far away as I can from what my soulish nature wants because my soulish nature is misleading. So I'm gonna drive my heart deep into what God said in spirit and in truth. Somebody in the room, help me give him praise. Come on, come on, come on.